Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're finishing up in chapter 9 of Revelation, a dark chapter describing more of the judgments on the God-rejecting world, which the church has already been taken out of. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. And so what Scripture seems to be indicating is that there exists somewhere on the earth a physical shaft, a physical passageway that leads directly to this pit that John is describing to us here in this verse. A pit that we can equate to the place we know as Hades. A place where the departed spirits of those who who don't know Christ go as they await judgment, but also a place where Luke 8.31 tells us the demonic spirits reside as well. Because remember back in that parable with, with the swine and the, the, uh, the, um, the uh, Jesus commanding legion to come out. What did they say? They begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. So it seems to be the place. And furthermore, since we know that, that the passage to and from this place has been blocked, at least for now, we know this because Satan needs the key to open it, right? He needs the key to open it and, and, and that there are demons operating outside of the pit, Operating on the earth and in the heavens today, we can conclude that not all demons are in the abusos. Not all are confined to that place. And it appears from Scripture that this is a place that serves as a holding tank for the vilest of the demons. In fact, I believe that it's connected to Jude, chapter, uh, Jude 6 and 7 where it refers to a place where, where certain angelic beings were being held. It tells us in Jude 6 and 7, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now you may be saying, wow, that's a creepy passage. What's that all about? Well, most believe that you here is referring to the demons that went after human women and had sexual relations with them in some form in, as covered in Genesis 6. Remember that? Chad talked about that not too long ago. But that, you know, there are a lot of theories about what Genesis 6 is saying. I do hold to the more literal view of that. That it's talking about demons that took on human bodies and they actually had relations with women at that time. And that here, what Jude is saying is they were locked up and the interaction, it, it gave rise. Remember in that passage, it gave rise to this jeered, weird genetic race of human beings that were called the Nephilim. A race of giants that were so evil that God had to deal with them through Noah's flood. But it appears that God has cast these demons into the abyss where they've been locked up since that time. But now, with the single turn of the key, Satan is about to release them again. Now, let's put this in perspective of what we know. You know, people say, well, ah, Hades in the center of the earth, seriously? A place of burning and fire? Well, wait a minute. What do we know about the core of the earth? What do we know about it? We know that it's intensely hot. In fact, I was studying, when I went to California, I started studying earthquakes and volcanoes, right? <laughs> you know, I saw that movie, right, where the, or the volcano comes up underneath Los Angeles. I thought, well, that'd be interesting. I wonder how that works. But one of the things they find it is the intense heat at the core of the earth that fuels these things, that's perpetually fueling these things. And then I connect that with something interesting when I was in Israel. I think I showed you guys a picture of that when I came back. But I stood in the north of Israel, up an area called Caesarea uh, Philippi. 
It was a place where Jesus took his disciples and he got the great declaration when he looks at Peter and says, who, you know, who do people say that I am? Who do they say I am? Oh, yeah, they say you're a great prophet, you're a great teacher, but who do you say that I am? You can almost see Jesus doing it, but who do you say I am? And what did Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God, the greatest declaration ever made. But that place where he made it is right along a cliff. And on that cliff that exists there, there's a couple of things. There are pagan markings all over that thing. And, and they existed. Some of those things were there at the time Jesus brought them up there. All kinds of pagan rituals and sacrifices took place in that region, right in that area. But there's even something more fascinating there. And I'm not saying it is this, but I found it fascinating. There is an entryway into a cave that goes down in the earth. And the Israeli tour guide that we had said that the Israelis have tried to get to the bottom and have never gone to the bottom of it. In fact, they call it the pit, the gateway to the abyss. They call it the gateway to Hades. It's the name of it. Fascinating to me. Whether it's there or it's somewhere else in the earth, it's not hard to believe that if these things that Scripture are telling us, and we know that the core of the earth is so hot, that these things would not be true as well. But at the moment, there can be no escape from that for these things because God has holding them there. But in this moment, at this time, he's giving that key so that Satan can turn that key and release what will come out of that. Now, know something else very important here. Even though Satan controls the demonic host, his authority to control them, it's limited. By what I just said, it's limited, right? He only has the authority to the extent that God gives him the authority. He doesn't even have the authority to release these ultra demons at will. If he would have, he would have done it by now. He'd have no problem doing that, but he couldn't do it because God didn't allow him to do it yet. God will give him the key one day, but until he gives him the key to open that door, that door is going to remain shut, and he cannot do it before God is ready for him to do it. This is important to understand because far too many Christians give Satan way too much power and influence over their lives, way too much. You know, people are always saying, you know, Satan's doing this to me, Satan's doing this to me. Look, while we need to have a healthy respect for his power, after all, he is, as Paul describes, a roaring lion who goes about seeking whom he may devour, right? We need to have a healthy respect for that, but we also need to realize that he does not have unlimited power. He does not have that. And what power he does possess is only the power that's granted to him by the God that we serve. And so, therefore, the power of God is far superior to any power that Satan has. And be sure you don't credit him with more capability than he has. But also make sure that in any of your dealings with him or his demonic hosts, that you rest in the power of the one true God alone because he is the one who has power over Satan and can protect you from this potent but very limited enemy of your soul. Amen? Amen. But also note this. These things being described to us, they're very real. I know they sound surrealistic to us because we can't comprehend all this with our human mind, but they're very real. This is not a fairy tale. There is literally an abyss. There is literally a shaft leading to the abyss. Demons literally exist in the abyss and outside of the abyss. And one day, quite literally, God will permit Satan to turn the key to the door of the abyss and release demonic things being held captive there. Now, I know you guys are not going to go spelunking anymore, right? You're not going to any more caves. That's it. Uh, and then there are some of you that are going to go out and start looking for the abyss. May I encourage you? I don't care whether you go spelunking. May I encourage you don't go hunting for this? Because that's just a lot of nonsense. And there are people who do this. And a lot of wives' tales have formed out of this. I don't know if you've ever heard this one, but there's a claim that the Russians at one point had dropped microphones into the depth of the earth and they heard screaming. They heard screaming. That's a, that's a wife. That's a fairy tale. It's not true. 
It was made up and it was perpetuated before social media through other forms of media and got it out there and it took a hook in the Christian community and it just got perpetuated. Look, that kind of stuff is nonsense. We don't need to focus on these things, but we do need to know that Scripture says that they're very real and they will one day play a role, that these things exist and that one day God will be using them for his purposes of what he'll be doing in judgment on this earth. Okay? With me? All right. So... I would just tell you this too, you don't want to be here when it happens, <laughs> because look at what's going to happen when this day comes. Look at verse 3. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so John now sees coming out of this pit on this day, sending up out of it are these normal, you know, abnormal looking creatures. They're not the normal kind of bugs that we're familiar with though. Not the normal kind of bugs that we're familiar with. It tells us that unlike the insects that we're familiar with, these creatures had no power given to them to harm the grass or the earth or any green thing or any tree. So the only power that they were given was to attack the people who didn't have the seal of God on their heads. And they are clearly not any kind of locusts that we're familiar with. In fact, they aren't an insect of any variety. So what are they? These are demonic creatures. These are demonic creatures that Satan is setting free from their bondage in the abyss. These are hordes upon hordes of previously imprisoned demons being beings that are, that are contained there that God will permit Satan to turn loose on the earth and they'll be so numerous that they appear to be like a swarm of locusts, yet possessing, he says, scorpion-like powers to inflict intense pain and suffering on, on the Christ-rejecting peoples of the earth. Look at where verse 5 goes on to tell us about their powers. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. These demonic creatures won't be given the authority to kill people. God has taken that power away from them and he's restraining them. But they will have the power and the authority to inflict pain and indescribable physical suffering on people. The torment that they'll bring upon people will be so complete, so overwhelming that John says that, that, that people in that day, they're going to beg for death, but they can't find it. They won't be able to find it. Now think about that that the pain and the torment that people will be experiencing will be so severe that all they're going to want to do is, is die. They're just going to want to lay down and die, but God will not permit them to die. God won't only take away the power of these creatures to take life, but he'll be taking away man's ability to take his own life while this is happening. If they try to use a gun, I don't know how to work, to shoot themselves, it won't go off. If they try to throw themselves off a rooftop, it won't kill them. If they try to, to ingest poison, it won't result in death. Men and women will want death, but God will keep them from escaping these painful terrors through death. When that day comes, man won't be able to control his destiny in even a limited sense while this is happening because God is going to take that option away from him and her. And as a result, man will have to endure suffering as he's never endured it before. He'll literally get a taste of hell on earth. Now, I don't know about you, but the last couple of days, the heat and humidity, I looked at my wife the other day and said, this is hell on earth. And she says, no, that passage you're in in Revelation is hell on earth. And she's right. It is. Sign me up for the tribulation. Who wants to say that? Not me. Not me. 
No way. How foolish can people be? I mean, think about this. How foolish are people today when they, they mock the reality, the end times that are described in the Bible? Like the people of Noah's day, you know, who laughed and they mocked and they taunted and they disbelieved despite all of the warnings that Noah was given of a real and coming flood. And make no mistake about it, the flood came. And make no mistake about this, the Bible's warning. And the flood will one day come. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. And you tell your friends that too. Today's the day of salvation because tomorrow it might get really hard. It might get really, really hard. Verse 7 says, The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men. Five months From this description that John now gives us of these creatures, people have come up with all sorts of ideas about what these things are. You know, some have attempted to show this is nothing more than a poetic description of natural locusts, of the natural bugs that exist in the earth. They they reason their position out by asking, why would God call them locusts if they're not literally locusts? But they miss the obvious demonic connections here, and they miss what God is saying and doing through all of this. He refers to them as locusts simply because locusts are always connected to judgment in Scripture. But here is where the connection breaks down because everything else about them is supernaturally demonic. And in the end, even with some poetic juggling, you can't make the description that we just read fit literal locusts. Secondly, there are those who try to make this description fit some kind of modern-day battlefield weapons system, helicopters, some other futuristic warfare vehicle. Although such descriptions, we can apply that at times, might be linked to futuristic things. If you were here when I taught Ezekiel 38 and 39, some of the descriptions there most certainly could fit. Contextually, they could fit. And it could simply be that when Ezekiel was writing that prophecy, that he couldn't envision things that we understand today. But based on the overall context of this passage and what's happening, it doesn't seem to be the correct interpretation. For example, helicopters aren't going to torment human beings to the extent that this This passage seems to suggest that these creatures will be doing. And these descriptors are simply meant to give us a feel for the dynamics of these creatures, a description that John is giving us to help us get a feel for what they're going to be like. Their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions. Now I understand, and, and I grew up on some of the, the you know, the, the rapture movies in, in the 70s that were out there, and of course this passage was taken, and the, the sting in the wings or in the tail was like a scorpion was the helicopter with it back there and the missiles firing off. But you know what? If a helicopter is doing this, people are going to die. There's no death in this. There's no death in this. So regardless of any commonplace connections we can make in our world today, there's little room based upon the context of this passage to conclude that these things are anything less than demonic beings that will be turned loose on the world in that day. Henry Morris in his commentary said, there seems to be no alternative to concluding that God, satisfying the age-long desire of those wicked spirits to possess bodies of their own, has created bodies for them, bodies appropriate in demonic appearance to the character of the demonic inhabitants. And it's these demonic hosts that will be emerging like swarms of locusts out of this pit, inflicting physical pain and torment. 
just like scorpions would inflict. I don't know if you know what it's like to be stung by a scorpion. I can't say that I do, but I do know what it's like to be stung by a hornet, and that's probably pretty close, and it hurts. It hurts. I do know soldiers when I was in the Army that were stung by scorpions. Actually, one time we were out on maneuvers at Fort Hood over a three-week period, and I got up early in the morning, and a bunch of us were out just starting to move around the, the area where we were set up, and I saw a helicopter coming in, and I heard screaming. I heard somebody screaming, and it was a long way off. And I saw the, the medevac copter come in and the medevac copter go out. And later in the day, I was at the division headquarters, so we got the report of all the medical stuff that was going through. And I read the report, and here one of the soldiers had taken his pants off during the night, laid it down, which you should never do, laid it down on the ground, and he got up in the morning and pulled on his pants, and there was a scorpion down inside of it, and it stung him. And he was in pain, so loud that we heard him in that area where he was at was almost two miles away and we could hear the screaming. So do you got the picture here? <laughs> Have I given you the picture? You know, John tells us that this is what's coming for the earth. And John tells us one last thing about this demonic invasion. Look at verse 11. He says, and they had as king over them, the angel of bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name of Poyon. Now, these demonic hosts have, John says, this leader who he calls Apollyon. And in Greek, Abaddon is the, that's the Greek, Apollyon. Abaddon is the Hebrew pronunciation of, of that name. And Apollyon literally means destroyer. And Abaddon literally means destruction. So because of these titles, a lot of people believe that here again, that, that John is seeing and referring to Satan himself, since Satan is a destroyer. But this can't be Satan, because this is an angel that John says was in the pit with these other demonic creatures before they were released. And the falling star, which we now know depicts Satan, was outside of the pit and given authority to the, open the door to it. This cannot be Satan. Apollyon cannot be Satan. It is instead simply a demonic angel that he indicates has some rank over these demonic creatures which are being kept in this pit. And apparently this is just a commanding angel of some sort and the name given to him simply reflects what he's going to be about. Destruction. Destruction. Once again, we're reminded of how vast and terrifying the things of the fallen realm are. They just are. Those who blow these things off, and you know, I've heard so many people over the years that I've talked to, friends even, even relatives, who will make this flippant statement, and they say, I don't care if I go to hell. You know, I'll, just, I'll just play cards and drink some beer with my buddies when I get there. They have no idea what they're talking about. They have, no they have no concept of what they're talking about. These kinds of things, the scripture says they're very real, and they're going to be there. They're going to be there. Abaddon, Apollyon, the demonic host, as numerous as locusts and as painfully powerful as scorpions will be their cellmates. And in light of this, how can anyone really believe that hell is going to be a fun place? How can they really believe that there'll be partying there? In fact, this is a place where there'll only be eternal torture and torment, we're told. You know, this is an interesting passage because it gives us a vivid contrast. Here on earth, when this day comes, the torment, as bad as it's going to be, will be limited. It'll only go for five months five very long months, but it'll only go for five months, and then these things are going to be locked back up in the pit again, but they won't die. They'll simply be back in Hades where they came from waiting for people to come to them. Those who find themselves there, they're going to find the same kind of torment, even worse, and it won't end in those five months. It'll go on. And like these people in this day, they'll beg to die, but they won't be able to die ever. 
Hell is not going to be a place where there'll be endless parties with, with people of like mind, and it's not going to be a place where, where it'll be tolerable to any degree. But for those who find themselves there, what they're going to find is that they'll be spending eternity with these kinds of things. And, and even worse, you do not want to end up there. And Jesus is your only way of avoiding it. Jesus Christ is your only way of avoiding it. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, you need to do it. And you need to know. And you need to do it now before you, you, you find yourself facing this sort of stuff. Because when you accept him, he'll place his seal upon you. And what are we told in this scripture? That these are the people that they couldn't touch. Now, you and I will not be going through the tribulation, but it means that you and I will never be touched by anything in this realm. Ever again, when we put our faith in Jesus. Because we're told in the scriptures that we've been sealed by him. We've been sealed. We have the mark of God upon our lives. That's why I would look at you today and say that, you know what? Even the blame that we often want to put on the demonic realm for this happened to me. Oh, I stumbled and I broke my foot yesterday. Uh, Satan must have tripped me, you know, or a demon. I've heard people say that kind of nonsense, you know? I'm not telling you that God doesn't have the ability to allow Satan, as he did with Job, to take you through some travail and tribulation. But not everything is happening to you is because of that, because you're sealed, you're kept. And when it's something like that where God would give permission, it's limited. It's limited and only to his purposes, whether for your life or the greater plan and what he's doing through it all. But don't give credit to the enemy for things. If you're in Christ, you don't need to anymore because you are sealed now, clearly, the seal of God is a reference here in this passage to the 144,000 who were sealed back in chapter 7 who will be alive at the time when this is happening. The 144,000 Jewish believers who will come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation, that these creatures cannot even touch them. But based on the scriptures that tell us that God seals those who place their faith in him, I would suggest that this is a much broader reference to all of us as believers, when we place our faith in Christ, Scripture is clear about the fact that God places his seal on upon us. And what God seals, he keeps, and he absolutely protects. No demon, no polion has the ability or the authority to touch you if you're under God's seal through Christ. You know, I cannot tell you, and I know you're going to sound surrealistic, I can't tell you that I have never had an encounter with a demonic being because I believe I have. There have been times when I've sat in my home and had a sense of a presence around me, you know, and it's not a good presence. But you know what I do? I run to Jesus and I just say, Lord, rebuke him. And it's amazing how that dissipates, how quickly that dissipates because I am in Christ. And if you are too, you have that same seal and protection. But have you accepted Christ? Have you given him your life? If not, then now is the time to do it because what awaits you apart from him is terrifying beyond your wildest imaginations. I personally believe the world right now is being prepared for this demonic onslaught. You just got to go to the movies to figure that out. You know, I, I do, do, a while back there was a movie that came out. It was a remake of the uh, War of the Worlds. Remember the old Orson Welles film, the black and white? If you've never seen the current one, it's not vulgar or anything like that, but it's definitely terrifying. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's amazing how similar. I'm looking at these things one time I saw it, and it's like, oh, my goodness. These things are just like I'm reading in Revelation. You know, they're demonic. The world is being prepared. The world is being prepared for this kind of stuff on a, on a regular basis and, and trying to be desensitized to it. But I'm just telling you, when this stuff comes in this day, that desensitization isn't going to matter much because it's going to be very real and very painful and very torturous, you see. This just tells me that when I look at the world, 
that it's going to happen just as the book of Revelation tells us it will. And maybe sooner than most people think it's going to happen. And when it comes, the question is going to remain, where will you be? Where will you be? That's an important question that, that has serious consequences associated with it. I pray that you'll be found in Christ because if you're found in Christ, he will have already protected you. He will have already withdrawn you from what you would face in this day. And if you're in him, you're good. But if you're not, this is what awaits. Now, some would say, Pastor, you shouldn't scare people like this. My heart is not to scare you. My heart is not to scare you into the kingdom. But my heart is to warn you that this is the future of this world. This is the future of this world. And I would be remiss not to warn you of that as I believe many are remiss today for failing to even talk about a literal hell anymore because people don't like it. It makes them uncomfortable. It makes them afraid. The Bible's very clear about these things. Now, we don't need to harp on them, but we must warn. And I'm warning you this morning. This is very real. Let's conclude with this final verse. Look at verse 12. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. John says that as this terrible event ends, after five very long months of torment, mankind isn't off the hook yet because there are still worse things to come. Five of the trumpets have sounded, but the sixth is about to sound. And this is like the song that never ends. It just keeps going on and on. My friend, at least it seems that way, you know, getting worse and worse and worse. This is what the tribulation will be like when it begins. Seemingly a never-ending series of horrific events that people cannot escape from. Make Christ your Savior now. Make Christ your Savior now. Now, suppose you have, don't let a day go by that you are praising him for his grace and for his mercy that he has shown to you. Thank him for the fact that you will not have to endure any of these things in any of this, any capacity of any of these terrible events. While the earth will be going through this, you will be seated with Christ around the heavenly dinner table, enjoying the wedding supper of the Lamb with him. And to you, these events on the earth will be nothing more than a bad storm taking place outside while you're safe and secure inside the house. But at the same time, think about what this will mean to those who have rejected Christ and what they're going to be going through. Pray for people, witness to people, share Christ with people. Now while there's time, I believe that time is short. And God wants you, he wants you, he wants me to be the very vessels that he can use to reach out to those who might otherwise face this awful time on the earth. Don't stop being a witness and don't stop sounding the warning ever. Even when people laugh at you and mock you and tell you this is nonsense, remember they mocked Noah too. He didn't stop faithfully preaching until the flood came. Don't you stop either. And don't tie your socks in a knot over the idea of witnessing to people. This does not mean you have to know every verse of the Bible to share with them. What it does mean is, one, live your life in Christ before them. Two, share with them what Jesus has done for you. And yes, get to know your Bible because the Holy Spirit will use that and he'll bring to remembrance the things that you're studying that are appropriate for them at just the right time. And that word spoken in its right timing can make all the difference in the world, but step out. He will meet you as you do this. But now's the time to do it because tomorrow may be too late, not for you, but for the world. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.